Today we're in the second week of a two-week series called The Table. We talked about last week the whole thing of why it's important to understand uh, the whole thing of, of why church should be balanced. And we'll talk about the table a little bit more in just a few minutes. But one of the questions this week that I was thinking about as I was going through this is the question that I think about a lot is this question. If we as a church didn't do what we do, what difference would it make? If we as a church didn't do what we do, what difference would it make? You know, if we just kind of like were wiped off the map, Great Oaks Community Church no longer existed uh, as a people, what, would it, what difference would it make? Would it make, any, would it make it a hole in the community? See, that's a vision question. That's a question about purpose, about what we're to do. Because if we can't answer that question fully to the extent of saying, yes, we are making a difference, then we are not doing what God wants us to do. It's pretty easy to see. Because God says he wants us to help people, and it's clear this wants us to help people along the way. And, and we have a purpose for that. And, and how we overcome this, this reaction mode that so often we're in. Sometimes we live in a reaction mode. We really do. Reaction mode is where you just respond to people and their problems. You feel like you live there, you know, every day you get up and you're going, I don't know what I'm going to do today. What problem? You go to work and that's what you think about is all the problems and, and that's how you respond. But so often we live that way. But the Bible tells us clearly that having a vision is important. It's important for our lives individually. It's important as a church. Um, matter of fact, in Proverbs 29, 18, it says this, without a vision, that, with where there is no vision, the people perish. It's so important for us to have a vision of where we're to be, where we're to go, what we're to do, that if we don't have that, we can, you know, it could really just kind of wipe us out. We have no, no hope in life in a real sense. I love the, the, the quote from Aristotle, which uh, I found. That it says this, the soul never thinks without a picture. Uh, the soul never thinks without a picture. Sometimes we need a picture of how things could be because vision is about what things, how things can be. And how things should be somewhere down the road. It can be an individual vision. It can be a corporate vision uh, as a church. Now, what does vision do for us? It's important. You know, you probably, if you've been to any self-help seminars or things like this, you'll have heard these things I'm about to tell you. But I want to tell you how they fit into the context of what God's Word has to say. Vision is important for us because it gives us several things. First of all, it gives us passion. I don't know anybody that has a really strong vision about something that isn't passionate about that because what it does, a vision gives us the, the uh, possibility of experiencing the feelings and the emotions of what might happen down the future before it happens. I'll give you an example. When you were dating, I mean, for some of you, that's a stretch, I know, Not a long time ago. I mean, back in the history, for me, 30 some years ago. But the issue is, you know, if, if you're dating right now, it's, it's, it's relevant. But if when you were dating, and you, and you, we, people dating do insane things. I remember back when I was dating, uh, my wife and I weren't married yet. We were dating. We actually, uh, were dating for five years. That included, uh, engagement and the whole thing. So long time. I was going through school. I went to school, uh, at Carson Newman College in Jefferson City, Tennessee. That was my undergraduate work. And that was about four hours from where our hometown was in, uh, Salem and Roanoke, Virginia. And so, guess what I ended up, and I was dating, and my wife, Vicki, is five years younger than me, so she was still in high school. I was in college, four hours away. Guess what I did a lot? I got on the road and drove four hours, even though I was working my way through school and had no money. That wasn't logically a good thing, you know? I was it just like, I was spending money I didn't have to go see her for some bizarre reason, because I had this vision 
of what could be. This relationship, you know, down the road, I anticipated that, and that vision drove me passionately to do things that I normally wouldn't do. See, vision is the thing that gives us the passion for living life. Secondly, vision motivates us in other ways. It motivates us to do the everyday chores that we wouldn't otherwise be motivated to do. For instance, many of you were motivated by the vision of eventually having a good job to to take all the classes in school, in college, that you looked at and you're going like, I'm sure none of you have ever thought about this, but you're going like, why am I taking this class? What does this have to do with anything in the real world? Anybody ever, besides me, ever thought that? You know, you took a class somewhere and you're going like, you know, this doesn't make it, why does, there's all, I'm not even going to go into which classes there were, but there's all kind of classes I took, I'm going like, I am never going to use this. But guess what? It said, according to to my uh, uh, degree, my Bachelor of Arts, and then my Master of Divinity, I had to take some classes that did not make sense in real-world terms, but they had to be taken so I could get my degree. And the, and, and the vision wasn't just getting a degree. The, division, the vision was getting the degree so I could have the job that I felt that I was supposed to do. See, many of you were motivated by that vision. Vision motivates us to do things that we sometimes just don't want to do. Uh, Sometimes you're motivated by the vision of a paycheck at the end of the week to get up and go to work. That's the motivational factor in your life. And so vision is a motivating thing. Also, vision gives us direction. It's kind of a road map, and, and it tells us which direction to go because the problem in life in our world today is not a lack of options. The problem is, is, is too many options, and so often we have a struggle with trying to do too many things at one time. And when you know where you're going and you have a vision of where you're supposed to go, guess what that does? That gives you the, the ability to say no to some things and yes to other things. It'll take you where the vision leads you. So vision gives us all those things in life. It gives us a purpose. It gives us, uh, it gives us uh, a direction and purpose. It gives us motivation. It gives us uh, passion as well. Now the challenge for most of us is the problem that we have with everyday life. Everyday life kills vision. It just does. Just, I don't know about you, but you get busy, busy, busy. And how many of you think about your long-term plans every day? Sometimes you do, sometimes. Some days you just get so busy that you don't have any really vision. You just, you're just kind of surviving in life. As a church, I want to share with you that one of the things that we have to constantly fight is the, is the battle of trying to do too many things. As we've grown larger numerically as a church, one of the problems, one of the temptations we have is, is, is to try to do more and more and more. And as it does that, maybe sometimes we don't ask ourselves the question well enough, is this really what God wants us to do? It's not like it's a choice between good and bad. It's usually a choice between good and best. And that's become one of the issues in the life of the church that so often that while I shared with you the sad statistic last week that, that's true in our world today that 83% of churches in America are declining. 83%. And of the 17% that are growing, only 4% are growing because they're bringing in new believers. And the rest of them is just shuffling the cards between church to church. You know what I mean by that. So it's a sad scenario. So often, and I think one of the greatest tools that Satan is using in our world today is getting churches to try to do too many things and not the best thing. 
That's why it's so important for us every year, and not just once a year, but probably a couple times a year for me to sit down and, and, and talk to you about this whole thing of why do we do what we do? What does God tell us what we're to do? And why is it so important to stay on track? Because we can really easily get off track and do a lot of good stuff, but not be really doing the best stuff. Because if we don't, we can get off track and be busy, 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 and look like a great organization, look like a great church, but at the same time, not really do what God wants us to do, the best stuff that he wants us to do. We, see, we say, we've said this before, and this is our purpose statement. We say it almost every week is to help people take their next step towards God. And the reason we say that is because we go back to what Scripture says in the great, great commandment. The great commandment in Matthew says this. It says, Jesus said, The love of the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. It says, we're to, first of all, love God. And how we love God is we love people. And we as a church are trying to help people take their next step in the process of learning how to love God and how to love people. Because none of us do that perfectly, do we? We never will. There's always a next step in the process of loving God and loving people, no matter where you are, how mature you are. And then secondly, along with that, a companion verse that kind of shows us some of the ways we do that is the Great Commission, where Jesus says he was going out and, and you know, leaving this earth and, and giving the commission to his disciples. He said this. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. He says that, that loving God, loving people, part of that process that we do that, when we really love people, we go out, and we reach them for Christ. You know, the Bible never says, it never says, I've never found this, if you find it, let me know, never says, as far as I understand, never says for non-believers to go to church. But it does say numerous times that believers, that people have committed themselves to Christ, are to go into the community to reach people, to build relationships. We call it invest and invite here. Investing our life in people's lives for the sake of helping them to take their next step towards God. So we believe fully that if the only way that we can stay on track as a church is to constantly remind ourselves this is why we exist. To help people take their next step towards God because it says in the Great Commission, the Great Commandment, and, uh, and throughout Scripture, this is just a couple of verses that kind of highlight that, this whole purpose of what we are. Not only that, must, we must constantly as a church ask ourselves, is the way we're doing stuff today, is it effective in doing you know, what God, our, our, our principles never change, our purposes never change, but the way we do that must change. You know, I want to tell you, I constantly, and I have to say this, I constantly have like a little running battle with my staff. You're going, really? Well, yeah, I'm 55, and the next youngest staff person, the next oldest, oldest staff person is 38, and then there's 34, 5, something like that, then 31. Now, there's a generation gap on our staff. I'm the only one that's old and mature, you know, and uh, no, I don't say that. But the issue is, is this, I've come to learn something, and this is where we have the battle all the time. I have found something. While I use technology a lot, the younger generation, people that are younger than me, which is most of you, uh, the issue is, is you think differently about things like technology than I do. I have constantly are, are having these little battles about, well, you know, about Facebook and Twitter and, and all the wonderful things that are out there in the world today. I do have a Facebook account. 
I don't use it too much. I don't Twitter. Not that I don't believe it's, I just believe it's stupid. But, you know, but I'll just be honest with you. I mean, I really don't care if you're going to lunch, you know, or where you, what store you just went into. I really don't care. And you really don't care whether I go to those places either. But for some strange reason in our world, for the younger, a lot of people, you know, it's constantly, you know, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. I don't care. Do you care? No, you don't care. It's just something to do. I don't know. It's like a waste of time, I think. See, that's where the battle I have. That's my mindset. But I do understand that is how a next generation communicates. And so I understand that technology is going to have to be something that we leverage, not that we embrace, but we leverage for us to reach people for Christ in a new and changing world. So, that's one of the problems that we have so often. Last week I talked about these three chairs. And one of the reasons I use this as a visual, and I hope you keep this in mind at all times in regard to what the church is all about, is that too often we think that a, that a, that a really mature church, a really growing church, a church that's really doing what God is, is just filled up with mature believers. I've heard that before. But that's not true of the New Testament church. The New Testament church was filled up with three groups of people. And if you think about it logistically, if all it is is mature believers, then they're not doing something right. The church that God wants us to have is filled up with three types of people. We talked about this last week. I'll remind you again. First of all, the first third is mature believers, people that have come to the place in life where they're growing in Christ. They haven't arrived. None of us ever arrived. But we we're, we're, have a certain amount of maturity. We're trying to live, live our life according to Christ's plan. That is what a mature believer is. Secondly, that's a third of the church. Another third is what we call new believers or, or baby Christians or however you want to... Ter- uh, determine that somebody who's fairly new in the faith they're still learning some very basic things about the faith they haven't arrived it doesn't matter what age you are but but where you are in your walk with god so baby believers are part of the part of a growing church and the reason we have this guess what is because these people these mature believers have invested and invited in people's lives and have entered, helped introduce them to christ and we have new believers as well so a growing church, a church's balance will have both those groups of people, but they'll also have a third group of people as well. Some churches call these seekers. That's not a bad term. I really like what Ed Young, pastor of Fellowship Church in Grapevine, Texas, calls them. He calls them hellbounders. We didn't say that in church. Yes, we did. That's what the Bible says. You know, the Bible says there's only two places you go when you die. You're either bound for... Heaven, now we always do this, or hell, well, thank you. Okay, last week you couldn't say that. You've overcome your anxiety in regard to that. Okay, the re- reality of life is God said there's only two locations. And guess what makes the difference, how good you are, right? No. What makes the difference is all of us, because of God's grace, not because of what we've done, all of us have the opportunity of having a relationship with God through, Jesus, through the uh, sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And when we accept that, we become a new Christian, and then from there we grow and become mature believers. So a growing, see, a growing church has to be filled with all three groups of people. It has to be, have all those groups because we're do, to, to be doing what God wants us to do, mature believers and new Christians are building relationships with people in the community who don't know Christ, who sit in this chair, for the purpose of, of inviting them or letting them be in, in, invited to, to know who Christ is. 
That's what a healthy church looks like. You know, I love it. On so, occasionally, somebody comes to me and says, I'm bringing this friend. Now, I don't know how they're going to respond. And I know exactly what they're dealing with. They're dealing with somebody who they've been working on for a long time, inviting, they finally got them to show up. And they come and they're going like, I just hope they, pastor, do well. Don't say anything stupid today. And they don't ever say that, but I, I've thought about that before, you know. Don't say anything offensive. That's why I keep it pretty simple and just straightforward, call them hellbounders now. Uh, but that's the deal in life. We have to understand who we are, Right? That's what a healthy church looks like. That's what a healthy church is, is all, all about in a real sense. And then for us to continue to stay on track as a church, we have to understand this concept. We have to understand that our purpose as a church is to help people take their next step, to never get away from the main thing, and keep it simple. Keep it simple. I love the verse in Proverbs 21.5 that says, Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. The challenge for our church, for every church, and the reason I think so many churches are failing miserably in reaching people for Christ and are declining across America, of churches of all kinds. It's not a denominational thing. It's churches of all kinds. Is because we, we get hung up in the daily grind of doing church. We forget about what our purposes are, and we just react to life in a real sense. Now, I want to share with you, I think it's important for us every once in a while to reflect upon where we've been, and I'm only going to do this for one minute today, but let me give you the next slide, which is a slide that talks about the statistics of where we've been as a church numerically over the 12-year history of Great Oaks. There's actually 13 lines up there. The first year was actually, we'd only been in existence three months when that first line, four months when that first line goes up there. In 1997 at Easter, the church, Great Oaks, began, was planted over here in in Germantown Hills. That first year, uh, as of June of the first year, uh, the church was averaging a little over, right around 100 people in attendance. The next year, it went up a little higher. It finally went up a little higher at about 200. And guess what? Look around about 00 uh, 00 and 01. It started declining for some bizarre reason. Uh, For those of you who don't know the history, we're not going into it, but just tell you it wasn't the best years of Great Oaks during those couple of years there, 0001, because the church was struggling with some issues of of leadership. There was a leadership back, and it was a great team of, of lay leaders in the church, people who were not on staff, but went through a process there, okay? Well, then... Uh, around 02, which is kind of in the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, the sixth uh, little line there, um, is Ju- June of 02 is uh, uh, when I actually came July 1st of 02. And uh, not saying it's because of me, but basic thing I want to say is this, is that from then on we kind of started, the biggest thing I can say I've done at Great Oaks is help us to have a consistent vision of where we need to go. Because we were doing a whole bunch of stuff. We were having Sunday school for adults. We were having small groups for adults. We were doing a lot of things for a small group of people. And that's why I believe that vision was so important. We need to have a consistent vision that we stick to, that's biblically based, and that works. And so we began the process of doing that. That fall of 02, we did the 40 Days of Purpose for the first time. We got going. And see, from then on, our growth was, was pretty consistent, about 20% a year up until 06. And then all, between 06 and 07, what happened in 07? Wow. What happened between then? Here. We were meeting in a school in the spring uh, of 06. Of, uh, and over the next year, what we did is we began, we moved here, and all of a sudden, guess what? We were visible for the first time. New, people knew, besides the little sign we stuck out on Sunday mornings at the school, that we actually existed as a church. And so what happened? We had this big jump 
in attendance. But something strange happened as I look at the numbers there. The next year, we dropped back to slightly. It's not a huge drop, but a little bit of drop. We went from about 550 to 540 in average attendance that year, next year. Then we bumped up a little bit this year to about 580. Now, I say that to show you that even though uh, we've had this history in the last few years of growth, we can become very satisfied with where we are. And I want to explain to you again, you know, the Bible never says that the reason we do church is so we can build large buildings. It never says to us is that, you know, the purpose of the church is to have huge numbers. But even though that's important, numbers are a way to count because it says that something about how we're reaching people and how we're helping them to grow. And I never want us to get to the place as a church where we lose sight of the fact that we are here to help people take their next step towards God. And we did a pretty decent job of that for years before we had a building. We got visible, we got more people in, and we need to continue that same process down the road. Now, whether we have 1,000 people or 10,000 people down the road, that's not, mine. that's not as important to me as that the fact that we stay on track with our purposes. But I believe truly next year that we could see that's kind of 20%, 30%, 40% growth in a year if we were taking seriously God's plan for us individually because we are the church, not this building. You know, that was cool the other day. Any of you get the Germantown Metamora uh, little thing, the old flyer came in the mail? You see that? Guess what was on the front? A picture of Great Oaks on the front of the Germantown Metamora, some kind of flyer thing. I don't know what it's called. But it has all the stuff that you can do in Germantown and Metamore. It took about two minutes to describe that. And, uh, and then what was even cooler is, is the picture. We were the picture right above the football team. Now, the football team's picture was a little bit, Metamore football team's picture was a little bit larger than our picture. Not a whole lot, but a little bit larger. But, you know, when people think of Great Oaks, now they think of the building. But I don't want people to think of Great Oaks as a building. When they think of Great Oaks, they should think of people in the community who are making an impact on people's lives by sharing, by doing the things that need to be done. I never, you know, this building could be here sitting by itself and it wouldn't make any impact. It's you guys that make the impact in this community, in, in Germantown Hills, in Metamore, in Washington, in Eureka, in, in East Peoria. You just name all the places that, that people come from. Varna. I found a young couple last, where's Varna? It's way down the road. It's a young couple, I don't know if they're here this morning, but last week going out the door, they were from Varna. I'm going like, wow, you get the reward for being the furthest away. But that's really cool that pe- you know, people want to connect with us here, but it's because of the people here and what, we're, what God is doing in our life. Now, the, the question is, let me share with you a couple of things real quick, and then we'll wrap up. And then we're going to end our service today with communion. Um, some things that we need to, for us to stay on track, some things that we need to understand If we're going to stay on track and help people take their next step towards God, we as a church need to be strategic in what we do. Not just have a bunch of stuff, but strategic things. We believe, and we shared earlier, that men's fraternity is going to be an added-on step that's going to help us to help men in the life of this church, in this community, to make an impact in in their homes and in in their world around them. Because I don't want men stumbling around like that one guy, you know, they kept going back to in the video. They kept asking him, you know, what, what does it mean to be a man? He goes, I don't know. I don't know. You know, guys, we need to be able to answer that question. And God's word answers that question. And not only the answer it, but then we can live it out. If you don't know what it means to be a man, how can you possibly be a godly man? 
And so we believe that's hugely important for our homes. You know, I really believe that we can turn around some of the divorce rate in, this, in our world and in this region if men would be the kind of godly men that God asked them to be. Really believe that. It starts with men. I'm sorry, women, I'm not putting you down. But you know that some, I've had women come to me all the time pray that their husband would be the man of God, the leader in the home. So men's fraternity is something this fall we're starting, something new that we believe is so important in the lives of this community and helping people take their next step towards God. Another thing we're going to do is we believe that, you know, I said the Bible tells us, never tells non-believers to show up at church, but he does tell believers to go into community. We're going to do something that last year we began, but we're going to do it bigger this year. It's going to be called Light the Night. At the end of October, there's this, this insane holiday that the society calls Halloween. And it's really crazy because the thing is, is that we will let our kids go to total strangers' houses and get candy from them. Well, we tell them, don't talk to strangers. But for one night a year, we drop our, our sanity and we allow kids to go out anywhere they want to. Not anywhere they want to. But we allow them to, don't we do that? Have you thought about that before, how insane that is as far as how we deal with life the rest of the year? But because of that, we're going to leverage that night. And last year we had two or three, three or four, two or three groups, small groups that had light the night. Uh, it was on Halloween night. It was in a community where there was a lot of kids. And we basically had a very simple plan last year where what we did is that we set up these places and we had lots of light. It wasn't dark and gloomy and all this kind of stuff. We had some incredibly simple games like bounce the ping pong ball into the bucket. Toss a beanbag into a hole, you know, and it was amazing. Well, I did this with, one, with our small group over, over, actually in Metamora, over in, uh, off of White Horse Trail. We did it over there, and we had hundreds, we had over 200 kids come by. Guess what they did? Instead of just stopping getting candy, they came in and played games for 15 minutes. They gave us 15 minutes to talk with their parents, most of which asked, why are you doing this? We gave them a flyer for Great Oaks. We talked to them about, built a relationship, said, hey, we're just a small group from Great Oaks. We're just doing it together because we want to serve the community. We believe that this year what we want to do is that we want to have a light tonight and do it really well, really cool, in every community in Germantown, Metamora, Washington, Eureka, East Peoria, where we have people that live, where there's lots of kids. And we want to do it in such a way where people know, they felt, man, this was the coolest thing. Why don't we think of that? So simple. But they'll know that people at Great Oaks care. We believe that's a strategic way, a very simple way that we can reach. And so it's going to take lots of people to be involved, not just the people that are in the small group. This year we want to have strategic locations and then whoever lives in that area help out with it. So you'll be hearing more about that over the next couple of weeks. We believe that's one of the things we need to do is finding creative ways of leveraging what's already happening in the culture to build relationships with people in the community. I like the thing we're doing in a couple of weeks with the, with the kids. You know, there'll be hundreds of kids here and hundreds of parents here for the sectional meet in cross-country. Hundreds, guaranteed. And we can make an impact there as well just by serving Next year, if we already shared about the Basque Initiative, we believe that God has called us to reach into the community. And, and, and not the community just right here, but the world community. And we began to ask ourselves, how can we be more strategic in doing that? Because, you know, guess what? It come, it's a kind of a big world out there. And if we're going like, oh, we're going to reach the world for Christ, that's kind of a broad statement. 
How do you do that? You decide to reach one group at a time. And so this is just the first group we decided to reach in regard to this, to be strategic with. And so I'd encourage you to think about that as well, to be involved. Even if you're not going to host a student in your homes, that there's lots of other things that you can be and help. It, it takes a whole community to do this. And then lastly, next year, one of the things we're going to do is because we believe so strongly that we want to get off of this. Not, it, it's not like a bad, you know, we had a little bit of growth this year. But it, the reason that we, for a long time, the, the re- reason we were growing as a church, guess what the reason? Great preaching, that's it, yeah. No, it's because you were inviting people. You were inviting them, you were investing in people's life and inviting them to come with you. So next year we're going to have a whole, the whole year is going to be an emphasis on invest and invite. In January we're going to talk about how to pray, how to begin to pray for your friends. And we're going to have, a, everybody's going to have a list of 10 people. I'm just telling you how we're going to, we haven't worked out, fleshed out everything yet. But a 10, you know, 2010, 10 more in 2010. It's like your top 10 list. Not like Jay Leno, but you know, the top 10, or David Letterman, whoever does that one. But we're talking about 10 people who that you'd like to begin to pray about for the purpose of asking God, how can these people that I know who are without Christ, who are sitting in this chair, how can those people, how can those people, how can I be a part of helping them to know who Christ is? And we're going to work through the, throughout the year dealing with some issues along the way. Prayer, how to strategically have conversations, how, how, to, how to begin to serve, you know, just all kinds of things throughout the year in different times to focus upon investing and inviting because we believe that's the next step that God wants us to take as well. Now, the question is, how do you fit in? How do you as individuals fit into all of this? Well, I, you know, I, I love the, the quote from Soren Kierkegaard, the philosopher. He said this, What I really lack is to, is to be clear in my mind what I am to do, not what I am to know. You know, most of us know a lot of stuff we don't do. The thing is to understand myself, to see what God really wishes me to do, to find the idea for which I can live and die. Do you have a motivating factor, some purpose in your life that you are willing to live and die for? Are you that passionate about something? I am. There's only one thing in this world I found worth living and dying for, and that is Jesus Christ and his purposes. And God has called every one of us to be involved if we're a believer. It says says in Ephesians 2.10, it says this, for we are God's workmanship. Do you know what that means? We are God made us, and He created in Christ Jesus, which He created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are a part of God's vision for the world. And while it's good to have your own personal vision in life, guess what? When you chose, when you accepted God's grace, and you accepted God's plan for your, what you did is you forfeited the right to just to be yours. To have your own vision. You said, God, I want your vision to be my vision. That's what it means to sit in these two chairs. That's the difference between this chair. That we've accepted what God has done. Not that we're better people than other people. Simply that we're people who have changed visions. God, because, because God has created us. He is, we're his workmanship. We're part of his vision, his creation. The next thing we're going to do in the life of the church as far as worship and, and, and here is starting next week as a series we just mentioned called Made. 
that all of us are made for a purpose. And what we're going to do during those six weeks is what we're going to do is we're going to spend time talking about how you can know how God has shaped you so you can know what you're to do. I'm telling you, it could be the most impactful series we've had in a long time at Great Oaks. Because in doing that, we will discover God's purpose individually and corporately. Because God's vision for us as a church is, is a corporate vision. He brought you here for a purpose. I like the Chinese proverb, and I don't really like a lot of Chinese proverbs, but this was good. I thought it says, it says if your vision is for a year, plant wheat. If your vision is for 10 years, plant trees. But if your vision is for a lifetime, plant people. See, we are about people here. We're not about buildings. We're not about, we're not about you know, big hoopla. We're about people. And we will, every time we look at something, we ask, how does it help people take their next step towards God? How does it help, help them to love people more? How does it help people to grow? And that is our purpose as a church. And it, we will eliminate a lot of things that are good things because it, it distracts us from the best stuff. Philippians 2.13 says this. It says, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You know, the first thing that, that we need to have is a will to do God's good pleasure. When Jesus first instituted the Lord's Supper, as he was sitting around with his disciples in the upper room before he was to die upon a cross, and he took the loaf of bread and he broke it and passed it among his disciples. And he took the juice, the wine goblet at that time, and passed it among them. He said, this is representative of what I'm about to do for you. I'm about to give you a visual picture of what I'm about to do. And every time that you're for, for, to partake of this, what I want you to do is I want you to remember what I've done. So that you will will to do his good pleasure. You know, I, I want us today, as we close, and those of you who are uh, going to be uh, serving the Lord's Supper, you can go ahead and get in position right now. Um, I want us this morning to use the Lord's Supper uh, to remember what God has done for us, but also as a way to commit ourselves to God's plan for our lives. Because as we take of the, broke, of the bread, it reminds us that Christ died for us. He died for us while we're sitting in this chair. Bound for a place that he does not design for us to go. But he wants us to accept his plan for our lives. To realize that there's nothing that we can do to be made right with him except what he's, except what he's done. And so as we partake of the bread, as we take of the juice this morning, let us be a reminder and help us to be a commitment to us that we're desiring more than anything to do God's will, to have God's vision for our lives and to do his will and to work for his good pleasure in our lives. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.